You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? You know what? I had a really great time this week, past weekend at uh, our local YumaCon. Uh, it was a it was a real it was a real good time, and I got to talk to a, a few comic book creators that are not just comic book creators, but also film creators. So um, I don't know if you remember Richard about a year and a half ago, maybe. Um, I think it was at it was at the Phoenix Fan Expo when it was still called Phoenix Fan Expo, and uh, we kind of as a group got to talk to these um, comic book creators that made the this comic book called The Mark of Kings. Well, uh, Daniel went and had an interview with them about a month later after that, and then they were here at this Humicon, and they were kind of you know, put, celebrating a little bit because they had had uh, a few... Uh, they had like a good run of the comic book come out, and it got an award, but they also write... Uh, screenplays and I guess they were on their way the next day to go to a film festival I want to say in Colorado I think if uh, you listen to the podcast or the interview I I should say uh, I remember them saying something about it but either way they were they had entered themselves or had entered a few different uh, short film uh film festivals and then we're also working on a few other things and another gentleman that i interviewed before and was at yumacon again orlando harding he was talking about how uh, a few of the comic books he created both night stalker and rrh or red riding hood were both being um optioned for well night stalker for a movie and rrh for a tv series i think yeah so that's uh i think that's it was it was pretty it was we had, they had a lot of good gets, I should say, like uh, for Yumacon for being the smaller, intimate, more intimate uh, con than you know some of the bigger ones. Did you guys do? Uh, I know last time uh, we were down there, we did like panels and stuff. Did you guys do any of that? Like where you were actually presenting any panels this time, or I know you guys had some stuff you were doing giveaways for and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we did look really cool. We did some giveaways, and we uh, we definitely had a lot of people stop by our 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 booth in particular. But we also mm-hmm. we did have a uh, panel for ourselves this year. Last year, I got to be the moderator for uh, for another panel, and it was a a frequent guest of ours, uh, Terry Mayo. Talking about Yay. the righteous wicked. No, I'm sorry. God, why do the I always say it? the wicked righteous and uh, his upcoming projects? But um, this year, I got to have my own panel. I guess uh, it was a Geek Elite Radio panel, and uh, specifically, we were we were. It was a panel that was focusing on Televised Heroics, one of the podcasts that we have on our network, and um, I really just wanted to talk to people uh, about all the different comic book tv shows that are on the air right now and i mean even today they they just announced another one cbs has has gone the, given the green light for a secret six adapted comic book tv show secret six is a comic book out of dc comics that kind of is the same as suicide squad but different it's more of a group of on the verge, on the edge of being vigilantes and and villains, like they 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 the the group comprises of both, and they kind of go and do the right thing without anybody knowing. Uh, and Secret Six like have been around for a very long time. They're a Silver Age comic book, but I think they became very prominent in the late '90s, early 2000s, uh, when their group consisted of people like Deadshot and Catman and Bane. So I would be real interested in seeing what they end up doing with this TV show on CBS. Um, but the, the with going back to the panel, I really wanted to 
talk to people about um, the shows that they're watching, specifically comic book comic comic book shows, and kind of shed some light on the comic book storylines that they are using to make those shows. Because I I do watch I I would say probably about ninety percent of the comic book TV shows that are on the air. Um, so I, and I, I've read a lot of comic books in my life, so I, I know generally where the, the storylines are coming from and, you know, uh, love to, I guess, point viewers in the direction of what comic books they can pick up if they want to get more information on those storylines. So the panel itself came out pretty well. Like it, it came out, a, a really great, like people seem to enjoy it and, uh, love the information that I had to give to them. That's actually a really cool concept, too, because that that is the one thing that I always find really fascinating. And uh, I think listeners that have have been with us for a while will know that most of my background in comics is on the indie side and not from the big two. So I always find it very interesting to, like, hear your knowledge of you know, what shows are doing and how that correlates to like the comic books or, you know, which specific comic book story arcs and things like that were kind of the inspiration for, you know, those shows or events in those shows and things like that. So I think it's, uh, I think it's really cool that you actually got to kind of like sit down and do like kind of like a whole panel on that too, because that also opens up like a pretty big like demograph of people that, you know, because obviously when we do the podcast, it's usually just like, you know, you and one other person or, you know, there's usually only like two or three people on like our shows, you know, our shows aren't typically like a huge, uh, I was trying to think of somebody who does one, but like, um, Oh, what's that? What's that one dude's name that they do like the podcast, but they do it in front of like a whole like live audience. Um, oh, uh, he's like Doug, a stoner comedian. Yeah, Doug Benson. Doug Benson does Doug a comedy. Benson. Yeah, he does his uh, podcast in front of a live audience. Um, how how did this get made? They do their their podcast in front of a, a giant auditorium of of people too. So, uh, yeah, yeah, so- yeah. Normally we don't do that. We usually just uh, the two the two hosts, maybe a guest. Yeah, so that's what I mean. I think it's cool that you kind of got like a similar experience. Obviously, I don't think you guys recorded that when you were in there, but it's kind of like a similar experience. And I think that that's really cool, like especially to share like that love of, you know, both the page and the show, you know, and to have those conversations. I think that's a really unique concept for like a comic convention panel, you know, or a con panel, however you want to say that. And you know what? It was it. Since it was a smaller con, you know, there was it wasn't a huge crowd, but it was also not uh, a, it was a moderate sized crowd, I feel like. And, you know, uh, I was able to walk through the audience and, and get to talk to people closely, not one on one, but like, you know, if they had a question or I, I sent there and asked them questions about what they were watching and and what they were looking forward to. A lot of people were re- really looking forward to season three of Daredevil. Um, a lot of people were watching the new seasons of the CW DC shows. Um, I even turned on a few people to the gifted, which is on Fox, which is kind of an offshoot from the X-Men universe, uh, Mm -hmm. that's, that's going on. And, uh, though I'm not the biggest fan of that show, I know people, a lot of people love the X-Men and there's, there are a few characters I think they do really well on that show. So, uh, I was, I was glad to point it out to people. So do you have like a comic book show that you think is like the ultimate, like what is your front runner show for like comic book shows right now? If you, if you had to be put on the spot you had to be grilled and tortured <laughs> to make you pick just one, just um, one. Wow. What would that, what, what do you think that would be? You know, that that's a very good question because like, I mean, other than like the CWDC shows, they really do stagger them out really well. Like, so it's always like, you know, what at the time is really, is what's really cool, really great, I should say. I think the Daredevil season three show is going to be probably my favorite uh, as it, when it comes out uh, of this year. I would say I really enjoyed Jessica Jones season two. That was, I thought that was so good. And it's so funny that so many people don't like it, but I think it's because. I don't want to say they don't get it. It's just that they were expecting something completely different, uh, especially mm-hmm. after season one and season two. It, it goes. If you look at all the season twos of all the Marvel's Netflix shows, Netflix Marvel shows, 
you get this idea that the theme that they wanted to do for season two for all the shows was like each character is their own worst enemy more than anybody else. Like they really have to dive deep into themselves of why they are doing what they're doing and how they get in, get in their own ways in more way than one in more ways than one. And I think Jessica Jones being the most broken character out of all the DC or I'm sorry, out of all the Marvel Netflix characters that are on there mm-hmm. as in Luke Cage, Iron Fist, uh Daredevil and Punisher, it it's a lot of introspective introspective of herself in in that season and I I just really enjoyed it. So I would have to say probably Jessica Jones. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't get me watched... wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, don't get me wrong. Uh, Fear of the Walking Dead was amazing this season. Um, the Walking Dead, I, I have high hopes for this season. Season uh, Arrow, I am still all in. I know a lot of people dropped off on that show a while ago. Uh, what else is, is going to be great? Oh, okay. So I don't know if you saw the trailer, the teaser trailer they dropped for this a couple couple days ago, but Amazon has the rights to what's called the Boys. It's a it used to be a DC Vertigo uh, property, and actually I think you would really love it if you ever read the book or the comic book. I've read a few issues of it, and it's essentially this group of non powered uh, humans that are tasked with the uh, objective of taking out superpowered beings whenever they get too um, out of hand, and and you know what I mean by take them out, like you know. So uh, that it in like seafood dinner and never <laughs> call them again. Yes, exactly. And then they their their uh, you know emotions are hurt so bad that they decide they don't want to be superheroes anymore. No, 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 no. I mean more wet work likewise. So. Nice. Uh, uh, I think yeah, I think you would really enjoy that that comic book and maybe even that show. So uh, I hope that you give it a chance when when it comes out. And Simon Pegg is going to be playing the father of one of the characters in the show, well, which is interesting. See, you already got me. Well, I think the interesting <laughs> thing is that if you see the character that he's the father of in the comic book, the artist definitely used Simon Be- Simon Pegg as the model for that character. And a lot of people were like, hey, Simon Pegg should play this character. But I don't think, I think that he was probably like a little busy doing movie stuff that he decided that, that he didn't, he didn't take the role or they, maybe they didn't offer it to him or maybe he was out of their budget, but they did get him to come in as a, a guest spot as his father, I think. That's amazing though. Yeah. Simon Pegg is freaking cool. Yeah. And that's, it's another Seth Rogen, like, production like uh him and his uh producing partner evan goldberg you know they make preacher uh and future man and this is this is another one of their projects the the boys on amazon hmm yeah i I mean uh, you uh, two things immediately jump out at me uh number one obviously like we were just saying simon Pegg. that's (laughs) super cool the second thing is the whole like assassin like pseudo assassin type thing going on because like although they're not exactly like assassins from from what you're telling me like it does sound like that's a an an element to it almost right Right. so it's like that's that's pretty freaking sweet like that's pretty (laughs) badass so uh, and you said that's going to be amazon that's putting this out yes amazon it's going to be on amazon is there any like is there like a timeline of when this is coming like do we do we already have like a date or Uh, do we know anything more you know i believe that they did say a date at the end of the uh teaser trailer but i cannot remember it at the moment off the top of my head um i would say probably the beginning of next year beginning of 2019 hmm gosh that sounds so cool like i definitely am gonna have to go check this out now speaking of amazon i know you just you just recently watched um jack the jack ryan show right i did yes and how did you feel about that because I, I just finished it too, and I felt that was very cinematic, a very cinematic show, uh, which is what we get a lot of in the streaming, um, you know, original shows. But uh, I felt like that was a very cinematic show. Like you could have seen that in a movie. Oh, yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with you. I think TV in general, whether it's, you know, Netflix original or uh, Amazon, Hulu, anything, anything original content. Like, I think there's been a huge push to go more towards uh, like cinematic styling to, you know, like what you're saying. It's more basically like taking the way that you would approach film 
and you know condensing it down into episodics you know um and it's funny because i think one of the shows that that really and this isn't exactly fair because you know shows have been doing this for a little while before it but i think true detective like the first season of true detective was like the one that really kind of just busted those gates open and maybe even house of cards to an extent right right um but i feel like those shows kind of really just opened the pathway for everybody to really start looking at shows and be like you know what like we can make these shows a lot more cinematic and less how we traditionally used to make shows. But yeah, um, I, I'm a big fan of Tom Clancy. Uh, I like a lot of his, his writing and uh, I like a lot of the games and stuff that have come out under his brand, if you will. And uh, I think the thing that for me, I, I really liked about it was that they started with the character kind of early on, like he's an uh, analyst which, uh, spoiler alert for those of you that maybe potentially don't know a lot about the character, uh, he eventually does work his way up to becoming the president, which uh, can be seen played by Harrison Ford in some of those movies. Wait, um, Harrison Ford? I knew he played, played Jack. Ryan. I knew he played Jack Ryan in, in Clear Present Danger and Patriot Games, but I didn't know he became the president eventually. Well, I don't, I don't know if. I wasn't trying to say Harrison Ford does, but I'm just saying like that's later oh. on in his career. Like, and after those like kind of transpire, he like does work his way up to becoming the president. Not, I probably didn't word that very well, but, um, but yeah, so I think it's kind of cool that obviously they've got John Krasinski in here playing uh, Jack Ryan. And I think that kind of lends itself pretty well to him being earlier on in his career, which I also think is a smart choice because then you can start with a character, uh, you know, and kind of build people into like his journey and where he's going to go. And, you know, if the show does continue to be a long running show and it continues to be very successful, obviously you didn't pick an actor that is going to age out of that character really quickly, you know, which is obviously something to, to consider because you never know. I mean, you look at shows and I mean, they sometimes run for 10 plus years now. So I, I think I do think to a certain degree, though, with the original programming, I, I don't know if we're seeing that quite as much because obviously they haven't been around as long. So we're we're not really sure if we're going to get that same type of uh, longevity that you used to get with, uh, you know, network shows that were really gunning and aiming for, uh, you know, a specific number of years and episodes to start syndication because obviously the outcome of this is very different. Like Netflix and, and Hulu and Amazon and stuff, I don't think are creating these properties with the mindset of like gunning for mass syndication. It could happen, you know, but I don't think it's quite the same thing. So inevitably it, it is interesting to stop and think like, is this going to potentially help shows in the long run? Cause there's a lot of shows out there that they get to a certain point and they should just stop. Like they should just end the show but because showrunners and studios and networks and things like that are gunning for, you know, like 100 episodes or X number of years or seasons, whatever, to get to that that magic number for syndication, you know, they tend to like get past that point and they're like, well, you know, we got to get here. So let's just keep making, you know, horrible choices or, you know, maybe let's not put as much into it as we used to and whatever. So, like, I don't know if we're going to really see a lot of these original shows go 10, 12, 13, however many years that, like, you kind of used to see out of networks. I think they might actually kind of just let the stories run their course and then be like, okay, well, that's that. But I do still think fundamentally with um, with this, I think it's a, I think it's a good call because obviously there is a plethora of backstory and content that Tom Clancy and I, I, I don't, I don't know. I haven't looked at it in a while, but I know there's like some ghost writers and things like that that are still continuing to make um, novels and stuff under uh, Tom Clancy's name. And I don't, I don't think they've done any of that with this character specifically, but it would be interesting to see if maybe they have, but either way, like he has a pretty long illustrious career within the novels that Tom Clancy did create. So I think kind of picking somebody that's a little bit younger and putting him kind of at the start of the career path, uh, I think is a really smart call. I mean, that's what and, they, uh, they tried to do with Chris Pine when they did the shadow recruit movie. Yeah. 
And I didn't see that. Did you watch that? Was it I, any good? I did watch it, and I, I see why people probably didn't enjoy it as much as they enjoyed maybe. Uh, I think I think for movie-wise, Jack Ryan stuff is probably the pinnacle is Harrison Ford uh, in Patriot Games and, and uh, Clear and Present Danger because you also had, what, Alec Baldwin in Hunt for October? Yeah, and you had Ben Affleck in Some uh, of, some all, of fears. all Fears. Right, mm-hmm. and I I think you saw that, like, Some of All Fears, I think, made a lot of money, but I think that was still off, well, that was off of the Jack Ryan name and the popularity of Ben Affleck at the time, as well as Morgan Freeman, but mm-hmm. I don't think it was well-received, and then you have Chris Pine as the, the shadow recruit, so to speak, and I don't think that it, uh, it, it didn't hit... It didn't hit the way that they wanted it to. I, I think. I think the whole being a, uh, I don't know, best way to put uh, the beginning of his career, I guess, just didn't didn't work for a lot of people because they were expecting someone, more, like the character, to be more like Harrison Ford's character, who's already done it for a bunch of years. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I think you're right with this TV show version of it. Like, you get to see them build up, build him up as being more than just an analyst and then you get the backstory of you know uh his uh marine career i think he, he's, he's a marine in that right ex-marine yeah he uh he was like a I, I he is an ex-marine i i in the books he was a uh, second lieutenant um before he eventually got out and then i think he was like a stockbroker and then he was like a professor at um uh, boston college and then he got into the cia then he worked his way up to deputy director of the cia and then vice president then president i might have i'm sure i missed another jump in there somewhere maybe a couple (laughs) jumps for him but like that was kind of like the you know arc of his career so to speak but yeah so they do give you in the in the show at least they give you some flash and i thought the way they did that was actually pretty well too because they obviously are showing you and alluding to you the fact that he was deployed and was in combat and stuff like that but the way that it like unfolds itself through the season and you get kind of that big reveal of like what happened that kind of like took him out or that made him want to like leave the not field. re-enlist yeah um and how it correlates almost perfectly to the story like or the moments and things that he's dealing with currently i thought that was really well done yeah like, and i'm trying not to say what it is because i don't want to give spoilers but like i just thought that they like did that like pretty pretty well in the story like i thought it unfolded very nicely and it was paced very well with the rest of the current events in the story now there's no jack ryan game is there like, because I know a lot of Tom Clancy stuff has been made into video games. Um, no, not that I recall. I, I mean, they did Rainbow Six. They've done uh, Ghost Recon, Splinter Cell, um, The Division. Obviously, some of those were games that before they were novels. Like The Division was as far as i know was never a novelization it was the game and i think they might have gone and done some stuff with the novels i know they're talking about doing a uh a live action movie with uh jake gyllenhaal well yeah jake, Gy- yeah jake gyllenhaal bought the right the film rights for it so yeah he wants to make the division movie uh and i assume that yeah he'd be playing the main character and but mm-hmm. the fact that you brought up rainbow six i thought was interesting because we have the news a couple months ago or within the last month, that Michael B. Jordan would be playing the main character in those movies. Um, mm-hmm. I think two two movies in general, and I can't remember what the names are going to be. But uh, do you do you know what the name of the main guy in uh, Rainbow Six is? I think his name's John Clark. John Clark, yeah, and I, I believe, believe he was played by Willem Dafoe in a previous uh, Jack Ryan movie. Uh, he, he very well could have been. I just can't remember if it's the Chris Pine one or if it's the the Ben Affleck one. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't see uh, I didn't see the Chris Pine one, and it's been a long time since I've seen the Sum of All Fears. So that's <laughs> a good while back. No, no, it was like nineteen ninety, I think ninety one, maybe. Uh, ninety one. No, Sum of All Fears is closer to two thousand. Are you sure? I'm positive. 
Oh, maybe I'm thinking of the book. Yeah, you might be thinking of the book. So that could be. Yeah. So then that leaves. So you got you got uh, Jack Ryan on on television. Uh, Rainbow Six coming out in movies. Division coming out in movies. How do you feel about them? Do you think they'll ever make a Splinter Cell, a Sam Fisher movie? Um, you know, I wouldn't rule anything out of the realm of possibility. Uh, I, I think the interesting thing behind all of that is, is that even though they're all very like Tom Clancy esque, they're also very, very different. Uh, and they, they follow very different types of like stories and, uh, events and things like that. So I, I definitely think there's certainly the landscape for all of those to copacetically coexist uh within multimedia you know i think my only issue for me and i mean i struggled a lot with this with the last game because they replaced michael ironside who had been the voice of sam fisher from the beginning they replaced him with like a different voice actor and it it i don't know it was just very jarring like it just absolutely was all of a sudden not the same character or game that you had you know, spent all of these years knowing and just something in, in innately felt off about it. Hmm. And uh, it really kind of took me out of the game quite a bit. And I don't know exactly what caused that. They, you know, they, I read somewhere that they were trying to just move the character into a younger direction. And yeah, I, I do think that that kind of like took me out of the game, but that's neither here nor there. In terms of the show though, I do think they could take that and, I think a Splinter Cell, I don't know. This is the interesting thing. Whenever you're talking about these particular properties that come from like novels and books and comic books or graphic novels, I think they inherently lend themselves very well to episodic shows because that's kind of how they were already written. They were kind of already written sort of episodically. And if it's a book, the book itself wouldn't necessarily be so much episodic, but having that ability to have a longer form storytelling ability, such as you can get out of a show, I think would work very, very well for that. Obviously the video game side of it, I still think it it's kind of the same situation because within side of video games, you usually have a much, much longer uh you know, period of story that's being told to you over a longer period of time as well. So I think if they are to do Splinter Cell, I I feel like that's one that could actually be handled as a movie um, equally as well as it could be handled as a show. Just because with that, I think there's a, a lot of things that you could do to just get you to those like highlighted moments in a movie easier than you could with something like Jack Ryan's career or like Rainbow Six. Because Rainbow Six uh, is a huge or like, you know, culmination of like all of these special forces from like across the United Nations and stuff like that, you know. So I think there's just a lot more characters to to delve into inside of Rainbow Six, whereas like the benefit of Splinter Cell is there's basically Sam Fisher is the as the main character, and then you kind of have like his handler and like his um, data tech, and those are kind of like the three prominent characters throughout most of the Splinter Cell games. So I just feel like you could do that one uh, effectively as a film a lot easier than you could uh, RB6 or, you know, the whole Jack Ryan saga, so to speak. And and last question would be, uh, is there a central person uh, in Ghost Recon that they can make a movie or TV show around? Or is that just always about the, the team? Uh, yeah, I mean... They've had some characters that have been named and stuff like that. In Ghost Recon, though, there there really hasn't been a character that's jumped out and stayed with you. So to me, that's kind of more just about that particular group or that particular, you know, branch. Well, that's not even a branch, but like that particular squad, squad, I guess, would be a, a good word for it. So I don't know. I, I feel like out of all the properties, that's the one that jumps out at me the least. Um, it, it, which is weird because like I have it really enjoyed a lot of the Ghost Recon games, um, 
even Wildlands, which is kind of like the the most current one, like I really enjoy it, but there's not there's not really like named named characters in that that are like gonna jump out and you know have that same iconic feel as like Jack Ryan and you know uh, Sam Fisher and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. I it, but to be fair, like the division is kind of that way too. Like there's the, the division's obviously an MMO. So it's more about like trying to engage you as a specific character versus trying to like put you in the shoes of like a named, you know, protagonist, so to speak. So I, I think it's going to be, I, I think that is a benefit that they have with the division film though, is that does allow them to kind of go anywhere they want without really muddling up any of the so-called canon or, you know, history. Um, so I guess in, in a sense that could be the same thing they could do with Ghost Recon is they could almost come in, uh, create something from the ground up that works very specifically for what they needed to do and then uh, put it out and it would it would probably be fine. But I there's no characters in that that I can think of off the top of my head that jump out at me immediately. Hmm. All right. That's interesting. So. Uh, I mean, that's the, the world of Tom Clancy, I guess, in a, in a nutshell. And whether or not they'll be making their jump, all of them will be making the jump to uh, the TV screen or silver screen is, is up in the air. Um, so I went and saw Venom over this past weekend. Okay. And one of the things that, that very much struck me, and I mean... One thing is that it's it's done phenomenally at the box office. Um, people are going to this movie. People are saying they are enjoying it. However, once again, as we've seen many movies in the in the past couple of years, audiences are enjoying it. Critics are not. There, it's being you know, it's it's very much a low score, uh, either through Metacritic or uh, Rotten Tomatoes for the critic side, but on audience side, there people are giving it high praise. I think the biggest, uh, you know, um, sign of whether or not this movie is, is going to do well or do is going to be doing gangbuster numbers is that how much it drops off in the next weekend, the next two weekends. However, reason I bring it up is because this movie, the marketing for this movie very much sells you on a R-rated type of movie, but it's been highly publicized that this is a PG-13 movie, and more than likely, it's because Sony is trying to show Disney that, hey, we can still make these movies PG-13, so when you want us, you know, you want these other properties to play nicely with the MCU, uh, we can because as of right now, you know, the Venom movie does not exist in the MCU. It doesn't, I mean, Spider-Man is not mentioned in the movie at all, uh, nor does he show up. And that's kind of a weird thing for a Venom movie, uh, not to have Spider-Man in it at all. Because, I mean, Venom in the comic books is very much an offshoot of Spider-Man. So uh, I found uh, I found that strange that the marketing for this movie shows you, it makes you think that it's going to be very much... R-rated with blood, gore, heads being ripped off, and stuff like that, and you don't r really see any of that in the movie at all. However, I did want to say that I did enjoy the movie, and uh, but it's more of a, it's so bad that it's good. Uh, I laughed more at the movie than I did with the movie. This is pretty much what I've been telling people, is that if you, uh, if you like The Mask from the 90s with Jim Carrey, it's that movie with more action. <laughs> okay that's super weird like that is a statement i would have never even begin to have dreamed of of hearing that is that sounds insane to me <laughs> yeah i mean even to the point where do you remember in the mask the at one point the dog wears the mask yes there's a there's a venom dog in this movie at one point what? Yes. I mean, I'm not I'm not really giving anything away to anybody, but yes, there is a Venom dog in this movie at one point. What? So, so there you go. Just go into the movie if you're watching it. And honestly, anybody that asks me, I say just wait for it to come out in Redbox or on iTunes or uh, you know, even Netflix if you really want to wait. Like uh 
it's 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 a one that you can wait and watch at home. You don't really need to go see it at the theater. Uh, but just know that it's kind of a more of a enjoyable because you're like, oh well, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, it's got flaws. It's got a whole bunch of flaws, story wise, character wise. Uh, action wise but it's just you can sit there and just be like oh i get it this is uh, yeah i see what they're doing there kind of thing um do you do you want to know what i know about venom like as a character i would love to hear what you know about venom as a character okay this is what i know okay his name is eddie brock okay he is a jock okay which i they just did that because it rhymed with Brock. I don't know. Or they needed somebody just to be like a stereotypical thing for, for Spider-Man or whatever, right? Because they kind of have like a stand, right? Like they kind of grew up in high school together and were kind of like always at each other, you know? Like Eddie Brock was the villain type thing, early type situation. So actually what you're doing is you're, you're mixing up two different Venoms. So you got Eddie That's Brock. probably true. Eddie Brock was uh, the uh, opposing photographer at the daily bugle to uh peter parker and he he didn't he never liked peter parker because the two of them would always compete for you know front page pictures and shit like that the the bully from his high from peter parker's high school days is flash thompson who eventually in in spider-man comics gets the venom symbiote and becomes agent venom so So yeah, you're mixing, you're you're combining two different characters, but I get what you're saying. And and Flash Thompson okay. was the jock. Uh, I don't know about Eddie Brock. I don't know if they ever did anything with him being a, a jock or anything like that. Fair enough. But he is a big so, muscular dude. Well, as I was saying, that's that was my next thing. We go uh, from Topher Grace <laughs> to Tom Hart. Uh, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, but it's not like Tom Hardy is in Bane shape or anything like that for this movie. He's he's more of a slim down Tom Hardy. He's like the kind of Tom Hardy you saw in Locke or uh, in or even in um, oh, what's that one? Rock and Roll? No, not Rock and Roll. Uh, I just had it at the tip of my tongue. Oh, uh, the the movie that he's in with Chris Pine, where they both play spies this means war oh. yeah. yeah yeah so yeah it's more like it's that that kind of uh 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 tom hardy but don't get me wrong tom hardy's always a, a big dude i mean i mean in more recent history because you go back to like star trek nemesis he's not a big dude yeah no he was not uh he was not full uh filled out in in that movie at all he was very pencilly in, yes in, in a way he needed to stay um, in the oven a little longer yeah, the only other thing that I really know about uh, the character is that the very first appearance uh, was penciled by Todd McFarland. That's right. Yes, he's yeah. he is accredited with creating that that version of, of Venom. So yeah, uh, but that's about it. So I don't know. It's interesting though to hear that this like because when I first heard they were doing a, a standalone Venom movie, I was like, okay, that could be cool. Venom visually seems like a cool character from what I recall of him from the. Uh, uh, animated shows and stuff like he was he was a, always kind of like a background villain type thing so you didn't really get a whole lot about him but uh, the concept was always cool because that's eventually what led to like Spider-Man kind of getting infected with the symbiote for a while and like the whole black Spider-Man thing which is kind of cool as well but uh, and then and then they were like oh well okay we're doing Venom movie Tom Hardy I'm like oh wow this actually could be walking the path to something absolutely flipping incredible and then the trailer drops <laughs> and at the very end of the trailer there's a line where he's like you're literally you, you know he literally says you're going to be blowing in the wind or blowing down the road in the wind what is it's something like you're it's, blowing like a turd in the wind yeah he, he says he says you'll be rolling down the street like a turd blowing in the wind there you go and instantly in that moment i was like what <laughs> this is not going to be good like this is this is definitely not going to be a good movie and 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 that's I don't know. It's not that you're confirming it. It's not like you're saying like it's a horrible movie. You're just saying it's an okay movie. You're like, it's a movie, but it's kind of disheartening when you stop and think you're like, wait a second, 
they brought Tom Hardy in for this <laughs> and they have a really cool character concept and that's it feels like what we got was like that was like the Messian sentence that was like what the movie was going to be that the movie was going to be a turd rolling down the box office <laughs> like it was in the wind you know uh, but which obviously is not the case because uh, we we were just talking about it before we started recording and it's up to like 200 and something million worldwide which yeah. is insane yeah it's insane is is generating this much uh revenue like it's absolutely crazy to me so i that's the but the whole the whole reason i brought it up is because i feel like even though people are enjoying the movie they were sold a different movie from the trailers and i i know i've talked about this a, a couple of times on our podcast i just feel like marketing departments for stu- for uh uh movie studios these days are are just doing a, a piss poor job of selling these movies. They're 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 so either they're selling you one thing and it's not it's not what the movie is at all, or they're giving away way too much of the movie in the the trailer and the marketing. Well, and I and I agree with you. It definitely bugs me uh, that that this has kind of become the status quo of of trailers and film marketing. But obviously, with this movie, it's doing like the. I, I don't know. That's what's really difficult. It's like I I haven't seen it yet, but I totally I totally trust your opinion that they are like telling you that this movie is one thing and it's something else. But like the sad thing behind that is is that something is working because people still went and saw this movie. Well, I think that's uh, that, the name Tom Hardy and Venom. Like you're literally selling sure. this movie off of those 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 people th- those two things. And and that's probably a very good point, because, I mean, I was all in until I saw the trailer. And then as soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, okay, first off, I already I already saw a trailer for this movie earlier this year with Diet Tom Hardy. And that was called Upgrade. (laughs) Uh, And like the trailer is literally almost like a shot for shot uh, trailer. You you know what I mean? Like it's almost like a shot for shot remake of the Upgrade trailer. Like it looks like, like down to the part where they're in the apartment fighting. And like the the computer takes over the other actor who I'm not even kidding looks exactly not exactly but looks very very similar to Tom Hardy and he's making these faces like he just can't believe what his body is doing cut to Venom trailer smash cut whatever it's the same exact sequence like it's crazy to me like yeah. what happened Logan Marshall Green is very much uh a almost doppelganger to uh Tom Hardy and I, I, I they the two of them cannot not know about this at this point like they have they have to be like they have to make comment about it I would assume and yes upgrade I would say is a better venom movie if you went by the story of venom from the comic book than you would from what you got here uh and if they were to have made the venom movie in the tone of what you got in upgrade i think you would have got a great venom movie this is just something completely different this is like a Mm. the venom movie that you got is is like sony saying hey we have access to this property but we need to make it the same way that that Disney makes those MCU movies where there's jokes and laughs and stuff like that. The only problem is is that Venom is a character that's dark. It's supposed to be dark. It's supposed to be violent. It's supposed to be gritty. He's not in it for the jokes. Iron Man, you can make jokes. Like Spider-Man, you can make jokes. Those, those characters lend themselves to, to joking around even in their comic books. It, that's the tone of those books. Venom is not a, a jokey book and but they like like I said I can't sit here and complain too much they are making the money they are they are doing it so uh for a movie that didn't cost them an extor- ex- exorbitant amount you know they they've made back the they've made back that budget and they are you know going ahead with more yeah, I mean, it's so funny because you're just like, you know, he's he's not a character that jokes, and I was just like, I don't believe you. Um, <laughs> which, I mean, obviously I do because he does not strike. There is nothing about Venom that strikes me as like a comedian. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that's the last thing that I would ever like anticipate, like Venom sitting around taking the time to like monologue and 
you know, Merc with a mouth moment to just joke and do all that. So, like, it's weird that they would try to shoehorn that into this character for the film. Like, it's just weird. And it almost feels like, and obviously this is not at all what happened, but it literally feels like somebody walked into Sony and was like, let's make a Venom movie. And somebody at Sony immediately picked their phone up, called their best friend and was like, dude, we're going to green light a Venom movie. You got to write a movie just like it, but make it about computers and go. And, <laughs> and then like hung up the phone. So there's like some secret insider trading of like movie pitches, you know, where they just call up someone else that they get like 10% of the points on the back end or something for like shotgunning these ideas, which is why, you know, like we get White House down and Olympus has fallen and like ants and a bug's life. It's just like somebody's in that meeting just calling somebody else being like, uh, who do we got that looks like Tom Hardy? He's like, oh, uh, Logan, um, what'd you say his name? Logan Marshall Green? Correct. Was that his name? Yes, correct. That is his name. Oh, I can't hear you anymore. Why can't I hear you? Anymore? I don't know why well, you can't hear me. Oh, there we go. I hear you again now. That was weird. Oh, so yeah, so like he calls him up. He's like, who do we got that looks like Tom Hardy? The guy's like, we got Logan Marshall Green. He's like, oh, sweet. Okay, take that guy, make a movie, parasite in his brain. He becomes something else. Uh, don't call it a symbiote because that's going to get you into legal troubles. <laughs> and uh, make a movie happen and then cut me in on the back, the back end of the points. And they were like, okay, cool. Or it went the other way around. Somebody came in, pitched Upgrade, and was like, they immediately called Sony and was like, this person is pitching a movie that sounds an awful lot like <laughs> Venom the movie. Uh, we got Logan Marshall Green signed on. You got to get Tom Hardy, make a direct mirror match of this film and uh, and call it uh, Venom. That, I, I, it's obviously not what happened, but I just like sometimes that's where my brain goes. And I think that's like what happened. You know? So, I, I mean, that's definitely what could have happened with these two movies. But w the way I've, I've always heard it explained to me is that more often than not it's it's uh the the writer or whoever you know going around and pitching the movie to several studios and like one studio will be like no that's okay we're gonna pass we don't want to take we don't want to do that but they kind of still do so they just go to one of their in-house writers and they just say hey this is the this is kind of the idea we want go with that so oh it's i essentially would totally a, believe that yeah it's essentially a studio just screwing out a a uh, screenwriter and and going in not giving them the the due that they deserve well and that's the thing like you can't really you know copyright the idea on the broad spectrum you know right. so it, it 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 makes a lot of sense you know somebody comes in pitches this movie you just have that one person that's trained to just look bored and they're secretly taking down all of these notes, and then they're just uh, calling someone up from the uh, the farm league of writing, and are like, "Pen this right now, and uh, we're gonna make a movie." I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like that's, it's just funny with this particular thing though, because it's literally, it just blows my mind how similar the two of them look. And, and I don't know, I'm, I'm maybe one of the few people that see it that way, but. So, I totally visualize them as like the same person. Like I, I swear they've probably never been on the red carpet at the same time. They'll probably never be in a movie together. Uh, you know, unless one of them's like, I don't know, maybe somebody's wearing glasses and it's just like <laughs> Superman disguised for Tom Hardy, you know, he somehow slims down and puts glasses on. Well, Logan Marshall Green was in Spider Man Homecoming, you know, two years ago when that came out, so I mean, he, he can't be in anymore. Spoiler alert, he dies in Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> Michael Keaton kills him. But uh, it, it's a possibility that... I, they, I, I wouldn't doubt that there's a possibility that at one point in time they were in a movie together. Just like uh, Thomas Jane and Aaron Eckhart were in oh my gosh, yeah. what, Thursday, Thursday together. So yeah, there, there's a possibility that the two of them are in a movie together. Now, they just better never high five because then the like time cop laws are going <laughs> to kick in and they're just going to like turn into a giant pink blob of gelatinous, you know, human flesh and <laughs> dematerialize. Like, like, they they look like they're the same person. It it, could, it would be bad if they were to do that. So right now, let me ask you this: Are there any examples in uh, recent history for you where that the marketing just either? it just really bugged you about something like a certain movie. Um, I know, I know, and this one's a little far out, but was Terminator Genesis was, was one of the things that I thought was very terrible in the marketing department because they give away such a big plot point right in the trailer of John Carner 
uh, now working for the Terminators because he's he's been infected with the uh, the new you know nanobot Terminators or whatever. So, it, it, yeah, yeah. Um, oh man, I you know I I don't really have like a really good uh, example, but I do have to agree with you. Like I think it's become so ludicrous to me how much content from an actual movie now finds its way into the trailer and i think i think the other uh, pretty big problem that you have is that you also have like international trailers and you yeah. know all these like there's so many more different types of trailers and of course they're using different footage in those trailers to try to you know pinpoint in on different target demographics to like get those people to go watch the movie at the theater but it it and i know this isn't exactly true i know this isn't a hyper exaggeration if you will but it really is to the point for me at least where it feels like you can almost watch the entire movie if you were to cut all of these different international trailers together and the extended trailers and the trailer one through five and <laughs> you know just the insane amount of trailers that are coming out now um is crazy but I guess I don't know what that is. I don't know what's causing that. I don't know if it's just they've lost faith in the effectiveness of trailers. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe they're thinking that people aren't going to see the movies because there's just simply not enough information presented to uh, the film goer population. But I, I but even that I find pretty hard to believe because with the internet and I mean the amount of content that gets leaked I mean we were talking about the Joker uh last the last podcast we did and I mean there's been a tremendous amount of of stills and uh videos and makeup tests and all this stuff that have been leaked out on, supposedly leaked out on the internet I still wonder if a lot of that's not the studio trying to see if there's interest or creating buzz kind of like what would ha what happened with you know deadpool because it's essentially what got that movie made but it i don't know for me it just i find myself wanting to watch trailers less and less and less because i want to go into the movie without knowing the entire trip or entire experience or whatever you want to call it that the film's supposed to take us on and it just doesn't really feel like that's completely possible anymore when you watch so many trailers. Like, there's just so much information about every film now, whether it's, you know, and, and I guess, I don't know, I guess that's what makes it even harder for me to believe that that's the case. Because, like, with the internet, I mean, you can go and search out, like, spoilers and comments from test audiences and stuff like this all of this stuff inevitably gets leaked or somehow finds its way on the internet like i really can't imagine that you know out of a two-hour film like a third of that has to end up as as footage and sequences and trailers like it just seems so completely crazy to me that that's the case i mean I, the the amount of stuff that does leak out nowadays is is, is crazy I personally try, if it's a movie that I'm interested in, I try not to watch past trailer one, the first official trailer that they put out, uh, just because I feel like, yeah, uh, TV, especially TV spots and international pro trailers give away a lot more than I would like for them to. And then, I mean, the trailer that the final trailer that they usually release right before the movie comes out has a lot of stuff too. And sometimes I try to try to I try to. Uh, dissect the thinking about that as well it's like what is it that the studio is thinking like do they just feel like the 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 numbers or the the hype for the movie is not doing well enough that they need to give away something maybe something in the final act that's that's super spectacular or uh in the second act that that's really going to grab an uh a, a viewer's attention so that they'll get their you know you know their uh their dollar their theater dollar um, mm -hmm. but for me, usually, and, and that's, and I mean, I know it's because movies and, and stuff like that are something that I'm super interested in. So 
I am always seeking out what's coming out next. What's what's the new thing? You know, what are people working on? So I'll hear the synopsis of the movie first, and I'll be like, that'll be like, oh, well, that intrigues me, or that doesn't intrigue me. And then I'll see the teaser trailer, and I'll be like, oh, okay, well, you're selling me a little bit more. I was like, oh no, this isn't for me. And then finally, the first trailer, and I'll be like, ah, okay, I'm in. You know, kind of thing. Like, like the first the trailer for Captain Marvel, which we talked about, I think the last time we we um talked also that Mm -hmm. that first trailer even though i was already gonna go i knew i was gonna go see this movie it's like that movie that trailer first really does sell me on the character and what i'm going to expect from this movie i i will do my darndest to not watch any of the trailers after this though because i really feel like they will be giving away way too much uh so i I mean i don't know what it is I, i to me i feel like a rule that they should start implementing is that you you really shouldn't show anything in the trailer that's past the one third mark of the movie. Like it should be the, everything in the trailer should be in the first act, maybe up to halfway. If you really want to throw, you know, get something something spectacular from the from the second act in there. But anything past halfway is like you're giving away something important to the movie, and I feel like that's unfair to the director and the people making the movie. Well, yeah, and I, I, I even to uh, uh, an extent feel like it's a disservice to the viewer because I think just like what you were saying with the Terminator thing, like that's a good moment that could have been utilized as a reveal oh, yeah. in the film. And when you take that away, like, sure, even even hypothetically assuming that 80% uh, of, the, of the viewers knew that before going into the movie – that still leaves you, you know, that other percentage of people that didn't know that or maybe weren't expecting that that are going to have that experience and you are taking that away from them. And I feel like that's a disservice to the viewer and the films and the filmmakers and everybody that worked on it. And, you know, I think it's a obviously I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon, but I think it's a trend that would be nice if they would start rolling it back a little bit or dialing it down a little bit like it's just uh it's just crazy how much information is out there about every single movie now before that movie is even you know i mean like the joker is still a year away uh you know and we're getting all this stuff and you know we're getting these alleged things about the uh extras being locked into the subway trains and being forced to like urinate on the tracks because they wouldn't let him go to the bathroom how true any of that stuff is i have no idea that could all be just a bunch of bs but like there's just such a huge flood of information about these films now that i i I don't know i guess part of it's maybe to build this hype train up for it but i think that also could be a double-edged sword because when you take this much time and you put this much effort into building that level of hype and then you get that first round of of critics or you know early access viewers whatever you want to call uh, who you know whoever it is that ends up going to do that like those people are usually going in with very high expectations because you've spent so much time and so much money building this hype up that no matter what that film cannot simply live up to those expectations and then that results in bad reviews which can then lead to people not wanting to go watch it so like Obviously, that's not necessarily the case with Venom. It seems to be doing pretty well in the box office. But I mean, that has to have had hurt or that has to have hurt some other films. And I just to me, I don't see it as a win win situation. And I, I would like to see it get dialed down a little bit. No. Yeah, I, I'm exactly the same. And and I think one of the other I, I I know this might not be a marketing problem. This this is more of a production mandate, I guess, or, or you know something that, that happens with the movie. But like, look at Rogue One, Star a Star Wars story. You know mm-hmm. that we get that trailer, and then you get that movie, and and Rogue One's probably one of my favorite uh, Star Wars movies. Um, but there was so much stuff that you saw in the trailer that did not make it into the movie, or is different in the movie. That mm-hmm. I you gotta wonder like what happened there you know why do we why did they release that trailer to have all that stuff in there when they were going to ch- to make such big changes and that 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 upsets me too like I don't know like it you're expecting it's it's almost like you're you're expecting one movie and you're getting another one once again sure 
Well, and, and then let me run this by you too, because you, I think you briefly talked about how it's, it's different. It's, it's like a different portrayal of, of the Venom character, which some of that had to have happened because of the rating, right? right. Because yes. Venom seems very much like that should be an R-rated character. Obviously, a lot of that happens because the moment you make a movie R-rated, you're cutting out a very large portion of of film goers but one of the things that i i heard recently that i thought was a, a smart move in a way um was with deadpool so deadpool they went ahead and released it as an r-rated movie it did very well uh the second one i think did pretty well also mm-hmm. uh, but now they are talking about doing a re-release to the theaters of a pg-13 cut of deadpool and I feel like maybe that's what they should have done with Venom. They should have done the character as close to the correct way as possible with an R rating, roll the movie out, uh, get what you can out of the out of the population that wants that particular film, make a few alterations, a few cut to bring, you know, a few cuts to bring that rating down to a more uh larger demograph within the the pg-13 rating and you know put it back out i know that's still expensive because you're gonna have to pay those theaters to show it twice whatever whatever but i do think that it could i i think it's a situation that could work um but i don't know i mean obviously venom's still doing okay so i don't think they're super worried about it but it would have just been nice you know and, and again like i don't know i don't really know anybody who's like i'm a die hard venom fan like that's my favorite character i'm sure there's people out there i just per- personally don't know any of them but like i can imagine how disheartening it would be if you've waited this long and through all of these other comic book representations of characters and you get to like watch everyone else like have their character that they love brought to life in a way that's pretty fitting and then all of a sudden this is the movie you get and you're just sitting there like asking what just happened you're like what this is not the character that i love and i it just it's kind of unfortunate that that's kind of the situation behind it i guess is what i'm getting at so yeah there i mean as people our age there are a lot of quote unquote nerds that that are really into venom especially because you know we grew up in the 90s and that was a very 90s character uh, in the way that's portrayed so yeah there are a lot of people that are going to be upset with the way that Venom is portrayed in, in this. Uh, Tom Hardy has come out and said that there is a lot of footage that did not make it into this version of the movie because he knows that that was made. It was made for a R rating uh, version mm-hmm. of that movie, and I can only assume that when we get the Blu-ray DVD, you're going to be getting the unrated version. You can get an unrated version of the movie that will be a little bit more R rated. Uh, yes, Deadpool is being re-released in theaters this Christmas with a PG-13 uh, version of the movie. It is taking the place, the release date of Battle Angel Lita, whatever that. Oh, really? That yeah. they're not releasing that anymore this year? Not this year. It's going to be coming out later in the year. Wow. It's taking the place that Dark Phoenix was supposed to have in February, and then Dark Phoenix is moving to April. So. Uh, yeah so fox is doing some moving around over there but yes there is going to be a pg-13 version of deadpool and i think the reason you don't they didn't do something like that with venom is because they had sony has no clue like they literally have no idea what's going to be hitting anymore with their movies i think they were super surprised like their biggest hit in the last year was the jumanji welcome to the jungle movie so that is mm-hmm. their their bread and butter right now is that age demographic and they wanted the movie to be able to they, they needed venom to hit that demographic as opposed to the uh, fox who was like okay we can do deadpool r-rated and uh it it obviously did well it's one of the you know highest gross it's it was at the time the highest grossing r-rated movie i think it eventually took took that spot i'm not sure if that's true or not but uh, yeah, highest grossing R-rated movie, and then now they do have that money to re-release that movie in theaters at a PG-13 rating. And I mean, this is the first Deadpool. It's not like they're doing Deadpool two in theaters again. This is so f- what four years later, 
three years later that they're re-releasing Deadpool in the theaters, and you're, they probably will make a lot of money off of that, even though they're going to spend a lot of money. I just don't think Venom... They Sony had the belief that Venom could do something like that to back it up with the money. I think they're just going to go more with the, oh, when we, re-release, when we release the Blu-ray, it will have R-rated uh, parts in it. Yeah, I think, yeah. I do wish that if they put a blu-ray copy of it out that they would at least include like the unrated cut so that it's not just like well here's the here's the deleted scenes you can watch them as they are like i i really do hope that if they do it they have like the theatrical pg-13 version and then like an unrated one which is like an actual recut of the film with that stuff in it not just here's the additional content yeah yeah i'm right there with you uh are, are you you good yeah. Uh, so if anybody else has uh, anything they'd like to get off their chest on marketing of, of movies as of <laughs> late, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can get a hold of me on Twitter. I am at Mitchipedia, G-E-R. Richard is also on Twitter as? At Ry Cohen, R-I-C-O-W-N. The rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram. Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. And geekleetradio.com is our website. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. Also, check out Richard on his Twitch channel, which uh, he is what often uh, streaming video games. Which what's that channel? Oh, that is a uh, twitch.tv slash r-i-c-o-w-n and the number one, right? Cohen one. Uh, what game are you playing right now? Uh, well, it's October, so we've been kind of switching it up. I tried to play a uh, horror game that's in early access called Visage, and uh, it, it worked for a little while, and then we kind of ran into some early access problems, and so we we quit playing that and uh, started playing another uh, horror game called Colat, and uh, that we didn't re- really fare a whole lot better in that game. So I think I think we're going to be doing some uh, Outlast, and uh, I don't know. We'll we'll come up with some other like spooky games for October. Needless to say, there is some pretty good clips of me uh, screaming like a small child uh, earlier. So <laughs> that's exciting. Uh, very nice, very nice. Okay. So if uh, you find yourself wanting to watch a grown man scream like a small child, (laughs) definitely check out his uh, Twitch channel. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.